0: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to
1: Processing, a podcast about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora.
2: And me, Bobby Comforto, your mom. Oh, hi,
1: mom. I'm your daughter. (laughs) How's it going?
2: I'm so grateful for that.
1: Uh, I'm so, I'm grateful for you too. And I'm also grateful for our great guest today, Mm -hmm. who is a great friend of mine. Um, you must see how many times I can say great (laughs) in one intro. Um, we are joined today by my dear friend, uh, Aaron Brady, who I just absolutely adore. One of those people, it was like love at first sight for friends, for me and Aaron. And, uh, yeah, she's a wonderful person. She comes on today to talk to us very candidly and openly um, about her and her husband Anthony's uh, years-long experience and struggles with uh, IVF and with infertility. And she was really just so open and generous um, in speaking about it. And it was a wonderful conversation, a very enlightening conversation and very deep. She's
2: a beautiful and person. and she, re- she really brought her spiritual beliefs um forward to help you know to to discuss how she healed and also to help other people in their healing so many things that she said apply to any kind of loss or trauma that anyone would have
1: yeah it was really wonderful a wonderful Mm -hmm. talk and Erin's a wonderful person and just so warm and wise and I mentioned in the show that her specific way of speaking her just the way her mind works and then translates to what her mouth puts out <laughs> is mm-hmm. really, uh, exceptional. And I love her and she's a wonderful mm-hmm. human being. So thank you to Aaron. Uh, and I, I know you guys are going to really enjoy this episode and, um, also just wanted to quick say just a little reminder that, you know, the way we grow the show is by rating, reviewing and subscribing. Um, and we would so deeply appreciate, uh, if if you guys wouldn't mind taking a minute to just maybe leave a quick review for the show, uh, a five-star rating, if you enjoy the show, um, you know, just press that subscribe button. And then also, I mean, the best way to grow the show really is also tell, tell a friend, you know, and, um, of course, folks who are going through, um, a grief, a grief experience, hopefully this would be a helpful resource, but I think also just people who are going through life, you know, there's, we're so lucky the whole, the whole thing that makes this show great is the people that come and join us and are willing to share their stories and their experience, their life experiences, the different ways in which they meet the challenges of their grief in their daily life is so beautiful. And they have such wonderful insights. And so really like they're the people who are making this show awesome and uh, valuable and um, useful. And so we really are thankful to them and we hope that, you know, if you like the show, you tell a friend. Bobby's nodding her head. She agrees. (laughs) Okay, guys. Well, enjoy our conversation with Erin, please. And um, yeah, take care of yourselves and each other. Take care. Bye. Okay well, good evening folks. We are joined tonight by uh, the wonderful incomparable, amazing, lovely friend of the show and friend in life Aaron Brady. Aaron, hello Hello Zara Bobby, hello Hi Aaron. Hi. hi. It's so funny. It feels like we've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> we had some technical difficulties, so we've we've said hello a couple times to each other, but I feel like this is the time we're ready to s- kind of really settle into the episode um, Aaron, we have a wonderful origin story. Um, Aaron and I met, uh, atop a hill in Tuscany, um, at a friend's yoga retreat. Aaron was a teacher and I was a cook and the rest is history. The stars aligned. It was, it was fate. It was fate that brought us together. I believe. It was. We fell, I've said this now, this will be the third time saying the same thing, but I deeply mean it. We fell in friend love. And I think that like can be the same thing as when you meet somebody romantically and you just know, and you just kind of fall for them. Like it really feels like that sometimes with friends too. And that's how it felt with us, I think. Kindred. Yeah. Kindred spirits. Um, so yeah, Erin, you're joining us from what feels like my home away from home at this point, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The great state of Wisconsin. You know what, guys, Wisconsin is a great state. I love it. Y'all have like some really good food and beverage traditions. Now, let's not tell too many people here. I'd like to keep it off the radar a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's going to be the new hot spot. I'm telling you, I really, I really, really like Wisconsin. It's beautiful. There's abundant dairy and liquor. And for (laughs) me, that's really all I need.
2: (laughs) Bobby, have you ever been to Wisconsin? I've never been there. Nope.
3: we got to get you over there it'll surprise you it'll surprise you
2: yeah there's a lot of farmland correct there is there is
3: there's also a lot of north woods um you Mm. know there's a lot of lakes there's there's more than cows in wisconsin um but yeah there there is some some dairy stuff here yeah, it's a
1: one it's a really cool place and I just have felt lucky to like not only get to know you but your awesome husband, Anthony, who is a firefighter and actually we're recording the show currently, like about one week after nine eleven, and I didn't even really get a chance to talk to you about this because you know, Anthony is a firefighter in Milwaukee, but I know obviously it's such a intense bond and like brotherhood for firefighters like across the country. How was how was nine eleven? you guys like and for him and the the firehouse
3: yeah um you know and especially anthony's on a special team here uh called the hurt team it's the heavy urban rescue team and they actually uh, do training with some of the um guys from new york so they've they've all gotten to know each other um through training and um also through some some other um very cool programs that are put together to help guys in the fire service understand how to, you know, regulate their um, body systems when they're under extreme pressure and um, just to be prepared for those kinds of scenarios. So Anthony has kind of made it a um, a little bit of a, a tradition in the last few years to actually go hunting and be gone during 9-11. Um, mm. But I did go to, the Milwaukee Fire Department puts on a really awesome 9-11 ceremony. There was actually a retired captain from FDNY here um, that was speaking during the ceremony, um, which was quite poorly attended, unfortunately. Mm, But, um, you know, I feel like it's 20 years and some people don't um, think about it as much anymore. Unfortunately, it's our front line gets... um, (laughs) put out of pole position sometimes, which I think is un- yeah. unfortunate, but, um, the, the fire department does a, 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 really, really good job, um, making sure that the day is recognized as it should. Um, but Anthony was in Colorado elk hunting. So.
2: Hmm.
3: It's interesting that he does that. And
1: it's like, a, it's a very unique, but beautiful way of self of taking some self-care time to like, you know, just connect in nature and kind of,
3: yeah, sink into de- that. Definitely. Nature is his healer for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, I kind of chatted with him when last time I saw you guys in Milwaukee, and I, truth be told, I had had a couple of beers, but I want to talk to him more about this, about just, I've been dying to really talk to a firefighter. I know Bobby and I both have wanted to get, um, a firefighter on the show to kind of just talk about that very specific, um, experience with food and grief, because obviously food is such a big part of Um, you know, the firehouse and grief is something that firefighters deal with all the time. But you know, something that we, you and I have talked about, but I would just love it if you could maybe share with our listeners a bit, like, and this isn't even what we're going to talk about today, but I am (laughs) curious. And I think it's an interesting thing to talk about as the partner, as the wife of a firefighter and your husband is going into, you know, very dangerous situations on a daily basis and spending a lot of time away. Like, how is that for you on the other side, you know, cause we think about the bravery of the, of the first responder of the firefighter going into these dangerous situations, but there's also like this immense bravery on the side of the partner. I don't know. I'm just interested to hear about that.
3: Yeah. You know, um, fellow fire spouses and I talk a lot about how, um, you know, it, it takes, it definitely takes the, the right kind of person to, um, marry a firefighter. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's things like, for example, in Wisconsin, it always snows when he's on shift. So, you know, the driveway and the snow plowing and (laughs) we make jokes about that, but, um, it's, I, I will tell you that, um, the glamor of it goes away very, very quickly. Um, it's, it's the, the thing that I think I have learned the most, um, is that, you know, his crew comes first in situations, especially ones where, you know, if something has happened, um, they he has a captain that does a, a really amazing job of making sure everybody sits around the kitchen table and yeah. and talks to to try to be able to process some of the things that they see. And, um, you know, I think that he's been fortunate to have had leadership that puts an emphasis on that um you know I I don't know that there's enough of it even still um but you know I think fortunately for Anthony he's got outlets that allow him to um you know whether it be actually process or work through things or not um, he's got really great outlets you know between hunting and and the outdoorsman things that he enjoys doing you know we we also keep, Honeybees and and his his hours with the bees I think are um, a little meditative, um, you know, for him as well. So he definitely has outlets, which I don't know that all of them do. Um, yeah. But you know, it's not it it's not something that if if I'm engaged and he wants to tell me about something that happened, it's rare. Um, you know, mm. I'm not. I'm not in a position and you know it's hard for him to talk to me about the stuff that he goes through and sees because he knows I don't understand I will never be in that situation and so that's where you know the tightness of the crew is is so important um, for them to maintain that um, and 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 they you know they have each other they go to each other and and I think at first it's you know as the partner you want to be the person right? You want to. Yeah, I want to be the person, and I want to be the person there for you. But um, you know, I. That's just. I'm just. That's not my role. Um, and and I'm okay with that. You know, and and some days he wants to talk about stuff that happened, and some days he doesn't. And you know, yeah. that's. It's
1: interesting that you say that because I, I don't know if you are familiar with Esther Perel or if you listen to you know any of or have read any of her work, but she's an amazing um, therapist who specializes in relationship and, and sex and things like that. And she, I'm going to paraphrase, but speaks a lot about um, partnership and marriage and the kind of new expectation that your partner needs to be absolutely everything, which is a very kind of modern, very American uh, concept. And it's not Really useful. And it's very interesting. And I think powerful in terms of kind of a well rounded partnership of like having the realization that, oh, like my partner, like when you said that, like I want to be that person, like this idealized version of what we're meant to think that like partner means I'm your everything. You can come to me for everything. And realizing that he has this group of folks in his, you know, f- fellow firefighters that are the people who support him in that way. And that's a good thing. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I just think that's a, it's an interesting thing. Well,
3: you also have to consider too, is, um, it, it, you know, when you want to be that person for somebody, you also are, are asking to take on some of whatever it is that they offer you. So, and that's a big ask, you know, is, is yes, I want to be there for you, but I also have, I don't think that I'm equipped to handle even hearing the stories, you know, I just, I have no semblance for what that's like. And so I, I don't know how to be the right person for him in that regard, because it's just, it's so far removed from my reality, the things that, that he experiences. And so, you know, it's a gift to me too. Um, not only Mm. that he has his crew to be you know, for them to be there for each other. But it's, it's a gift to me too, that I, that I don't have to carry the weight of that, um, you know, and try to, you know, find a way to be that person. It's a beautiful way of putting it.
1: So, you know, I guess this is kind of an interesting time to transition to what we kind of want to talk about mostly today on the show with you is, and it really, I think a lot of it, I mean, you'll tell us your perception obviously is the most important one, but, um, about partnership. Right. So we're kind of talking about your and Anthony's partnership now. And another thing that's kind of, uh, really been a big deal for you guys and a huge part of your life in the past several years has been, um, your experiences with IVF and, um, getting pregnant. And, you know, I know one of the first things that we kind of talked about, um, as new friends and have continued to kind of, I've been so honored that you've, um, you know, confided in me about this and I I don't even have words for the appreciation for you coming on to share this experience with like all our listeners. It's such a generous gift. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I would love it if you could just kind of talk to us a little bit about your experience and how you guys have, how you've personally gone through it and as a team and just maybe just, you know, let us know how, how this all started, I guess.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things like nobody nobody gets into a marriage to get divorced. Nobody tries to start having kids to not (laughs) be able to have them, you know, so it's, it's one of those unforeseen obstacles that, um, you know, just emerged over time. You know, we had made the decision to, um, try to start having kids and, um, it just, you know, it wasn't happening on its own. And so, you go down this road of, well, what does this mean? And now what? And it opened this giant gate (laughs) um, to Mm -hmm. the world of infertility that I never would have thought that I would have to traverse, but also had no idea what was behind, um, you know, that giant door. So, um, you know, part of the reason why I was so open and willing to be on the show is because it's just a topic that, isn't talked about enough. And I think that when you're inside of, you know, the infertility community is so far and wide and, and broad, you know, there are so many different segments of it and you can be in, um, you know, so many different places inside your, your journey. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, we're all clinging to this hope that, um, what comes, at the end of, of the journey as, as a child. And that's just not always the case either. And I think that there's so many misconceptions about what IVF is and, you know, it's, it's a privileged, um, option that only, you know, is, is available to people who want to play God and, and control the outcome of things. And, you know, let me tell you, if, if that was the case, I'd have three kids, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's, yeah. and it's not. So Yeah. We, uh, it's really,
1: it's an intense, it's a very intense and a very unique kind of grief, I think, because normally I think we're taught to think of grief as losing someone that you had, you know what I mean? Like you lose a parent, you lose a spouse, you lose a child. And that is very profoundly painful. Do not get me wrong, but it is, it must be. And I, obviously you can speak to this with so much experience and so much better than I could even ever guess. But, um, the grief, the unique grief of not being able to conceive and it's like grieving for something that you haven't yet had. And I bet there's a lot of, I would assume there's a lot of fear and, and that you won't have it. Can you speak to us a little bit about what that specific kind of grief feels
3: like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely nailed it. Um, you know, to, at least for me to a degree, I think that, um, it's, you know, what's the saying about, you know, God laughing when you make plans, Um, but it's it's we have this like perception of the 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 direction we think things will go, and and you foresee this life that is inclusive of you know maybe it's a a career, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a house in the Hamptons, maybe it's children, maybe it's whatever it is. We get these illusions of of that's the way that I picture myself in my life. And when those things don't happen, it's, you know, it is the grieving for something that hasn't happened yet. But, um, you know, there's, there's just such an insurmountable amount of pain inside of the fact that oftentimes with in vitro fertilization, there are no answers either. So there's a lot of trial and error in, you know, the protocols that, that the doctors will come up with each cycle and, you know, the, the, the amount of medications you're taking and, and all of the different things that you're trying. And then when it doesn't work. And in our case, you know, we had three cycles of IVF, um, one cycle actually never went to retrieval. Um, my hormones just kind of went a little nuts and and my doctor said we're going to this is not going to yield a good result too many things are out of whack I had gone through the entire cycle of medication and was set to retrieve in 2 days and he called off the cycle while we had two other cycles that went through retrieval but never went to transfer because none of our embryos were viable so um it's a whole different pocket of grief when We haven't even had the opportunity, you know, there's, there's so many women who get to transfer and then the pregnancy fails or, you know, it's, so it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's not linear, the, the IVF process or the fertility process. It's like, there's grieving that can happen in so many different phases of it. And then you're left with so many more questions than answers most of the time, because it's like, well, why? what went wrong and the doctors can't always definitively say and so you're just left with you know whatever the result was but not necessarily any answers um and so it's it's, it's oftentimes making a decision to take another swing at bat and try again because you know yeah. who knows <laughs>
2: You know, I was just ironically speaking with the client. My last client tonight was somebody that's on the same journey that you've been um, sharing with us. And one of the things she was telling me about was about the enormous pressure that she feels. You know, so now she's going through another phase. And she was telling me just enormous pressure on herself as if she said, I feel like I'm carrying the burden of the world on my shoulders. So I wondered, have you had that sense as as the Woman carrying, wanting to carry that sense of pressure on yourself.
3: You know, um, I I have had a lot of feelings, um, but I but that hasn't necessarily been one. I think um, you know it, it. to give a, a brief interlude or, or a little bit of background. Um, you know, and Zara, you may know this, but I I had some medical stuff happened early on in my life. And, um, I, at, at 19 years old had my gallbladder removed and there was a multitude of things that went wrong. And I turned to Eastern medicine in my early twenties. And, um, this was something I was never going, I would never have entertained. I I never would have, you know, it's, it's the one thing I've said repeatedly is, all the things that you think you're never going to do, um, change as soon as you're left with no other choice.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: And so, you know, when, when it came to the point of, um, you know, we've, we've got our situation specifically, you know, we, we are dealing with both male factor and now that I'm 43, Possibly, potentially, they can't tell us definitive, definitively. But based on my age, most likely there is probably an, an egg quality issue at this point too. So, um, it's it was our only option was to try IVF if we still wanted to to have kids. And so it was like, you know what, I can do this. You know, I can do hard things. We can do this together. And it was more of a mission, um, I think, at first that. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Like I can get through this, and um, you know. And then we had a a, a really high um, egg count for retrieval. I think it was like 21 eggs retrieved and 13 fertilized. And so we were, you know, feeling really great about things. And then it's just the numbers decline so quickly um, as the process goes on. And then you get the phone call, and and Anthony and I were apart. I was traveling for work when I got the phone call. So not only did I have to get the phone call, I then had to make the phone call to Anthony to tell him that, um, our embryos, um, had failed what's called PGT. It's genetic testing that they do, um, on the embryos and, and, and most fertility clinics, if the, um, genetic deficiencies are severe enough, they will not transfer the embryos at all. Um, so, you know, I would say that it's more, it was more disbelief and defeat. Um, he was crushed and, um, I really wanted to be there for him. I was more concerned about him and, you know, that's what I think people who have spent any time in food service, you know, that's what we do. Like we, yeah. We set the table, we provide, we, you know, and, and we, we lay out this beautiful array of, of this, that, and whatever, because it's easier to give, um, in those times for me. And so that first round, that's, that, that was a lot of what it was. And then, you know, as we progressed into the second and third rounds, um, it, it just becomes, I don't even know what the right word is, but you know, it, it, you start to question everything. Did I, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. did I eat the wrong foods? You know, did I drink too much in my twenties? Did I, you know what I mean? Right. Like, was I on birth control for too many years of my life? And, you know, totally. you just start to question everything. And, and, um and, and then even sometimes you look around and say, well, you know what, this is what the world is like right now. And, and, and maybe this is okay. Maybe it's okay that we're not, we haven't been successful with this because this is the state of the world. And can you imagine bringing a child into it? But you know, it changes every single day. Um, of course. and that's, I mean, like that's grief, grief you know?
1: like grief in itself, right? Like, and it is, that is so, it's just what grief is. It changes every day. It's like the tide. It's like going to the ocean. It's never the same two times in a row. One day it's perfectly calm and still and the most beautiful day. And the next day, like, the tide has come all the way up to the parking lot. And you're like, how the fuck did this happen? You know, it's wild. And it's so unexpected. And something, there's a few things that I want to touch on and what you just said, Aaron, but like one thing that I think is very interesting is that you have told me a lot about how, you know, I know that you're someone who uh, is very involved in Eastern medicine and just kind of like a natural lifestyle in general. I think it's so interesting that when things come up in life. It's similar to if you're with someone who gets sick, you know, or you get sick or got, you know, get cancer or someone that you love gets ill. You're all of a sudden in the hospital all the time. And now you know about, you know, platelets and you know about all this stuff that you never thought you would have ever known about. And now it's your whole life, you know? And I think something that we kind of like don't even really talk about is even just like the grief of like, Your old life being gone, the (laughs) life that you had before you thought about, you know, egg retrieval or in someone's case, like, you know, your T cell numbers or whatever it is that like you never fucking in a million years thought you would have had to use all your brain power on. And then like, I think that there's a grieving in remembering your old self that didn't have this like issue, you know, and that, I'm wondering how you feel about it. Like I felt that my own grieving that I've had in different ways, not around health issues or, or reproductive issues, but other things, other
3: things I've grieved about. And it's just, I don't know. What do you think of that? You know, the interesting thing is that um, between studying Eastern philosophy from a medicinal standpoint, but also spending many, 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 many hours, um, training to be a yoga teacher and continuing training, Um, Eastern philosophy is obviously heavily ingrained in that. And um, I think that there is comfort for me in the sense that, you know, that is my support system. Um, You know, I, I, you know, Italy is a perfect example. I went to Italy on the front end of our first IVF cycle and I brought three journals expecting to have had pages and pages of things that I needed to to like, I was going to have these moments of, of thought and, and (laughs) it was silent. It was silent. I, I, I believe that that all fell into place because I needed that space to prepare me for what was coming. And I'm grateful for it. You know, there's a, um, there's actually a, a Hindu goddess who, um, talks about, the concept of, of never not being broken and, you know, in, in the brokenness is, is the whole. Um, and so recreation of self and never walking the same path down to the river and um, finding comfort in the discomfort. And so all of those things ha- are, are part of me because of of the studying I've done and, and um, you know, I find reassurance in that. Um, I don't, I don't grieve my old life. I don't mourn my old life because I am a product of everything that happens to me. And, and I'm not, this isn't lip service, you know, I've no, I've, you know, been through, I've been through a divorce and I, you know, so it's like everything that happens. I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, it's, it's building me up for me tomorrow. Um, and, that doesn't make it any easier to go through. Um, Mm. and when you're inside the shit, you know, it doesn't make it smell any better, but, um, it, but it is, you know, there is, there is this waiting, almost wanting for, well, something big is obviously coming. And I don't know what that is, but, um, you know, it's this, this preparation, this space that I'm learning to, um, you know, we, Zara, we talked about this, you know, grief is the whole, is like a hole in your heart and it never goes away. You just grow around it. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of that for me. I think that it's all happened in due time. It's all been appropriately aligned, um, you know, to help support me through this, but you know, where it goes from here is, is, is still the question, you know, I don't know what's next. That was,
2: that was beautiful. So I have a question for you Aaron because you know you're describing so much compounded grief, you know, layers of different types of disappointment. Do you, have there ever been ways of letting go, like rituals of letting go of some of it? Because you're right, we are layers of all our experience, but sometimes we can also in our processing try to let go of things so that we can make room for new things. So have you found that that's have there been any rituals of letting go of after following one series of IVF into the next?
3: Um, You know, I've definitely had um, that experience prior to this. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily been anything in the last, you know, two years um, that has happened that has allowed me necessarily to find something to let go of to create that space. Um, but what I will say is the end of our last, our third cycle ended last October. And so we're coming up on a year of intentional space that we created to just mend, you know, mend ourselves, mend our marriage, mend our bank account, (laughs) mend, mend everything. And it was a, it was a long journey back to myself that I knew I needed and that came through nourishment with spending time with the right people. It came through nourishment with spending time with my, my practice, making sure I was getting back to practicing yoga for myself, not just teaching. I actually stopped teaching um, and took a break because I didn't feel like I had the capacity to give in that way for almost eight months. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was, just listening, you know, closely, listening really closely to, um, the cadence of, of what, what do we need, um, you know, to, to together move through this and ultimately beyond it, whether that means move into another cycle or not, um, you know, we've had some growing that we needed to do. And so I just created as much space around me as I can. I set different kinds of boundaries, um, with even family, um, said no to a lot of things over the last year. And that's a good, um, that's a positive thing. I think just to quickly intervene, saying yeah. no to things,
1: I think is a really important tool in kind of healing.
3: 100%. And I don't, I don't regret it one bit, <laughs>
2: totally.
3: um, you know, it's but a it's a means of self-care in a big way. It's, it's huge. And I think that, you know, something that, that I've, held on to really tightly conceptually from, from yoga is this concept called Vairagya, not to be mistaken with Viagra. It is not two very, two different things. Um, but Vairagya is just, is, you know, essentially the, the concept of, of non-attachment and allowing mm-hmm. things to be and, and, and allowing yourself to be, but not inside of the storyline that we start to create by saying, I am this, I am that. You know, it's it's letting that all go. And I'm Aaron and I have infertility. And like those are two separate things. You know, it's 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 part of my journey, but it's not who I am. And so, you know, there's there's a lot inside of that, which, you know, I mean, I have. (laughs) <laughs> Vairagya tattooed on my body. That's how much that concept is important to me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, but it's reminders, you know, you have to come back to that every day. It's like meditation. It's, you know, it's that, the the brain of a puppy where you, you easily get distracted and you have to remind yourself to keep coming back. Um, you know, not to get caught up in the storyline, but also not to get it caught up in other people's storylines. And so the mm. space is so crucial because not only is it my healing that has to happen for me, but I don't have time for your shit. <laughs> totally. And yes. yeah,
1: it's important. It's an important thing of, around healing from grief is really setting boundaries. And, you know, it's, it, it can just, uh, the case can be made for saying yes to things too and trying things. But I think that's, that's a different thing. But I really wanted to kind of hone in on what you're talking about because it really like there is a level of like protecting yourself and setting just like boundaries around like, you know what? I don't, I'm hurting and I'm in pain and like, I don't have to go to this function. I don't have to necessarily Mm -hmm. meet this person for lunch because I know that they're going to have a set of issues that I'm not ready to deal with right now. And I think that that's like a really valuable means of
3: self protection sometimes when you need it. I feel like the, 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 uh, like the chicken little Concept is 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 far too easy for people to grasp. You know, the sky is falling. Everything's wrong. It's all yeah. happening to me. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and and it's um, I I almost find it that the boundaries that I set was more so to protect me from other people's shit than mm-hmm. than you know because I felt like my shit had made its home with me. Yeah. And it was there. Yeah. It wasn't going anywhere. I knew exactly what it was, right. um, but it's the the addition of the other people's shit. <laughs> it's yeah. That That is, no.
1: Totally. Sometimes it is just too much. So Aaron, you come from a food background from a family who is in the business. I know that you are a wonderful, amazing cook. I know that you have a very strong service industry background and that you love food. Um, and, you know, I'm curious to, and also that Anthony is involved in cooking just from being a firefighter. So w- were there any kind of food related coping mechanisms, um, or rituals that you guys had around this, uh, you know, the IVF, the rounds of IVF?
3: Um, you know, the, the, the one thing for me is, is not even necessarily a, a cooking thing, but it's just it's mise en place. Like the, the beauty of mise en place is like the order, the organization, the availability for things to have a place and make sense inside of this chaotic circumstance, you know? So it was a lot of like, um, you know, Marie (laughs) Kondoing, just like (laughs) finding, finding some peace, even in small pieces. Um, you know, but that, that concept comes straight out of the kitchen and um, you know, I I don't think that there's you know anything bigger um, to to more fully answer your question. I don't think there's anything bigger or better than the fact that you know Anthony puts his heart into hunting. I mean, it's a very big part of who he is fundamentally, and and that food fills our freezer. And you know, Zara, you know, there's there's bear fat and there's elk and there's you know there's all this stuff uh, that um, it, you know is is new, you know, new for me in my life too. And, and, but his, the sense of pride he has over not just being able to provide, but when he cooks the food that he's hunted, you know, the the amount of care and concentration that goes into that is, um, you know, you can, you can feel it, um, you know, that he wants to, to, to take care of, all of the components of, you know, hunting isn't just being out in the woods, you know, it's, it's also caring enough for the animal to practice shooting and making sure that you don't injure it, that you kill it, you know, in a, in a kind way. I mean, as as weird as that is to say, but, um, you know, and then, and using as much of the animal as possible and making sure that we're not wasting it and making sure that, um, you know, he, he puts that little extra ounce of love into preparing, um, you know, the food, that, that he's hunted. So that, that would probably be the biggest thing. Um, you know, especially over as we're, we're winding down with the amount of elk that's in the freezer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yum. Elk is
3: delicious.
1: How do you prepare
2: it? I don't know. What are some of the preparations for elk? Um, well it, he, um, we have
3: ground and, you know, and, and, and steaks. So, I mean, you can use it in very traditional ways. Um, elk is is super lean um, and it and it's very easy to use in in many many traditional ways. Um, bear I think is a little bit uh, trickier <laughs> to work with. Yeah. Um, but you know, so he's he's made some stews and chilies and soups and stuff with the bear, but you know, you really got to cook that trichinosis out. So.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to boil that bear <laughs> until oblivion, <laughs> as the old saying goes. <laughs> You got to braise a bear for hours and hours. Braise it, baste it, broil it. Bear.
3: But we Um, had like elk shanks that we um, slow cooked and um, Mm. we had a bunch of, uh, Anthony used to collect sap from the maple trees on our property. And so every year we would have a party on the boil day for making maple syrup. And um, the last, uh, party that we had was before all of this started but you know everybody would come over and we had elk shanks in the oven slow cooking all day and then uh, we made like a taco bar um with the shredded meat and you know stuff like that is really cuz it's it so unique you know there's 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 not a lot of people that will be able to say you know I actually killed this animal and I processed this animal and, mm-hmm, and yeah. you know prepared
0: the it's meat and, and
3: like now it's on the table. It's, it's rare anymore, you know,
1: that that's yeah. the case. It's beautiful. And it's like actually a really wonderful honoring of like, it's, it's an, I think that hunting when you, you know, hunt animals that you eat and utilize, um, I think it's really beautiful because it combines a lot of things, you know, Anthony, you said it for last week went, elk hunting in Colorado and so that's like good for his spirit right he's in nature he's doing something good for him but he's also like you know hunting for an animal that's going to provide food for you guys and like really using it and like cutting out all of the kind of you know carbon footprint of commercial meat industry it's a it's a beautiful thing to do and I think it's I think it's really awesome that you guys do that you guys For living in a city, you really live. I mean, of course, Milwaukee is a different kind of city. Like you have a big backyard, but you guys really live off the land. The most of any people I've ever seen in an urban area, like (laughs) the honeybees, the garden, the hunting. It's really amazing. I'm really just inspired by your guys' way of life and uh, also by your marriage and your ability to be teammates. And I know nothing is ever perfect and it's it it's must be incredibly difficult to get through this kind of situation. You know, I mean, I think it probably, and I would love it if you would speak to it from your own personal experience, but I would assume it probably pushes your partnership to the max limitations in some cases. Um, what, how do you feel about that? What's been your experience?
3: Yeah. Um, I I would say it pushed us beyond the max. Um, you know, we, we, I would probably say about a year ago that we were pushed probably the closest that um, we could to it not working. Um, And it's just, you know, when, when things are in that many pieces and people, two people are so broken, um, you know, it's, I don't have enough to be there for you. You don't have enough to be there for me. You know, it's, we're walking around like, shadow selves, you know, of ourselves. And, and so it's, it, it feels hopeless in those moments, but, um, you know, nothing is permanent. And I think that the availability to heal comes from just, you know, those, those infrequent moments where maybe we would catch each other's eye and, and you have that, like, I remember you, you know, I, I remember you. I remember us. I remember, you know, how our story started and I remember why we're doing this. And, and then you, you keep reminding yourself of those things and it, and it builds everything back up. And, you know, I, um, I'm officiating a wedding next month. And so I've been writing the script and in, Mm -hmm. in the writing as writing always is right. There's catharsis in it. Um, but it, I was, I was, making a connotation to, um, the book, the alchemist, um, but also the concept of, you know, honeymoon phase, people confuse that with the best part of a relationship. And, um, I, I can tell you wholeheartedly and personally that, um, you know, until you walk through the proverbial fire together and you find yourself and, and maybe it is in pieces on the other side, but, that It's that we went through this together and we survived and, you know, the scars may be evident forever, um, but that kind of love and relationship to get there is beyond, you know, any honeymoon phase. Um, and unfortunately, it's not easy, right? Like if it was easy, everybody would have it and everybody would do it, but absolutely. Um, it's it's also easy it and i would say it's just easier in general to quit you know like things are hard you know things aren't working this isn't what i had pictured this isn't what i want and the 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 thought of just walking away and starting over is actually easier than staying yeah. and fighting and working through it and so then you 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 eventually have this badge you know that you can carry in your marriage and say um, you know, nothing actually needs to be said. Nothing needs to be spoken. It's just this unspoken. You know, we've we've been through this. We can get through anything. Um, we survived. Yeah, we survived. So and um, continue. Not that not that you want to invite. <laughs> I you know I don't want to say it too loud into the universe. Like yeah, we can go you know through anything. That,
1: but that's the thing, though, is that these things that make you a stronger person and a wiser person and a deeper person and someone who might have gotten to see a little bit more of life in this short time here, those things are rarely pleasant. You know what I mean? The pleasant things are wonderful, but like, man, the things that shape you are so fucking painful. They really are. They're awful. And if you were asked would you like this awful thing? I'm telling you, when you come back on the other side, it's, you're going to be better. You'd be like, no, thank you. I'm good. You yeah. know? And, but we don't get to, we don't get to choose. It doesn't work we like don't. that.
2: Right. Cause a lot of that awful stuff we're talking about just happens to us. It happens. And it's how we meet that, you know, the, what we find inside, how we dig deep inside to meet those challenges. And when you're doing it as a, as a couple, you can do it at off times. You know, one person's meeting it one day, the other person isn't. And then to be able to find those times where you can really recognize in each other and in yourselves how deep you've dug you know mm.
1: i loved when aaron when you just said sometimes you catch a look and you go i remember you <laughs> that like made me choke up really it's mm. really it's really profound because i think you know mom and i know you've had like lots of couples who have you know gone through the loss of a child and Gone through other really intense things that like can really break people apart, and even if you don't have a trauma happen, you can still just break apart. There can be infidel, all kinds of things break people as couples. It's really difficult to be in a marriage or even just a long relationship, and I think so many times people never get that. You know, you just you don't even stop for that moment when you catch someone's eye. You know, but it's important and. Sometimes it's, irre- it's not meant to be or it's irreparable, but a lot of times it isn't, you know what I mean? And a lot of times it's just broken and, and things like what you guys are going through are so difficult. It is, it would be impossible for it not to like chip away, you know, but it was just really, I think profoundly beautiful to hear you speak of it that way. And the way you speak in general is profoundly mm-hmm. beautiful. I, the first time I ever took your yoga class, I was like, man, this is the best yoga class I've ever been to. And for nothing more than the fact that the way you speak is so earth shattering. (laughs) Sometimes you just have a way of like cracking it all open, you know, you're very eloquent and just poetic and kind of just a mesmerizing your, your cadence is really just remarkable and your vernacular and your whole way of being. And yeah, it's just a pleasure to hear you kind of speak about your experiences. It's very profound. That is true. I think one thing that I want to just also hone in on, which is very specific to your story, Aaron, um, and your experience, and we've touched on this in this conversation, but it really speaks to grief in a larger scale is that feeling of disappointment. And what is disappointment more than like, I wish it wasn't so, you know what I mean? And it's such a big part of loss and trauma and grieving in general. I think many of us can look to something in our life and say, God, I wish it wasn't so, but like, how do you, I guess from your wisdom and from what you've been through, how do you go through the day with the feeling of, I wish it wasn't so, and that grief feeling and still do the day? And meet the challenges of the day And do the relationship And do life and laugh Because I I must say You are also a life liver I have done a lot of fun things with you And you are hilarious And so fun to be around So how,
3: how do you do it? Well, first of all Thank you for your kind words um, I would I would say that There's probably one person Who may not agree With how you feel about me when I talk And that's my husband But um <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, it's, it, it has to be a day to day, sometimes hour by hour, um, process, you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I get it right all the time either. Um, but, but what I will say, you know, kind of going back to the concept of like mise and and, and making sure that there's a space for everything, um, you know, something that I, that I learned through Ayurveda, which is kind of the sister science to yoga. It's, um, it, it it just teaches you how to create rituals. And I think rituals are so important, um, you know, because it, it gives you that place for things. And, you know, those, those, the, the, the availability to be able to explore all of the, like underneath all the rocks, because we can't ignore it all, right? You know, it's, and that's the hardest part about, about processing grief is that you gotta go through it. And so, um, the rituals that I've learned how to create, you know, from my own practice and, and meditation to even the ritual of the, you know, the certain herbs that I take and the time that I take them and, and, you know, the hot water and the, all the things that I do is, is part of my way of coping and the days that I miss my rituals, um, I feel it. I, you know, I, I don't feel as good and, and I'm off a little bit. And so it gives me something to hold on to that is constant, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, with mise en place, it's like the, the zucchini always goes here, <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: you know, or the knives always go that, here. And, you know, effort. and so the, the rituals help to, sh- to shape that structure.
2: Well, I have this concept. Um, I'll tell the story very quickly, then it, Zara and I were were at a a friend's house, and she was having a fall party in the backyard. It was at night. And they set up this platform where you'd climb up the platform, and then there'd be a rope there, and you'd just jump into the kind of unknown. You know, I guess there was hay underneath or mattresses, whatever. And Zara was very young. I remember I didn't want to go up there. I was terrified. But because she wanted to, we both went up there. And I remember holding onto the rope, and I was about to jump into the unknown, and I screamed what can I hold on to so I can let go? <laughs> and I, and that's to me what rituals so good, are. Bobby. I agree with you. I feel very deeply about rituals as well. Um, and that's what it is. It's what we hold on to because we let go every day, every day. So many things.
3: Yeah. That's, that's, I love that. What can I hold on to so I can let go? Yeah. 100%. 100%.
1: That's uh, a Bobbyism. It's so good. <laughs> Um, so Erin, kind of as we close out our show each week, we always ask everyone the same couple of questions. Cause I think that it is so fascinating how differently everybody answers this question. No two people have ever said the same thing, but, um, if you could kind of look at this experience and wherever the beginning is for you or a point when you might've needed some kind of advice from your older, wiser self, um, if you had any advice for your younger self in the beginning of kind of this grieving process, uh, what would it be?
3: Breathe. Just breathe. That's, you know, it's, it's funny because it's there, there, there is a universal language in love. There's a universal language in breath. And, um, you know, even in, um, there's a, there's a, a training course that Anthony went through with the fire department and, um, he came home from it and he said, Oh, we did all these things. And, 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 I said, you know what you just spent the last three days doing is yoga. <laughs> the yoga <laughs> it's, it's, it's in everything, but it, but it, it really yeah. is. It's, it's the, the, the union of, of body and breath to bring yourself, you know, together in one place. And it's, it's easy also to forget.
1: Mm-hmm. it's so interesting you say that. And I just had this weird, I mean, I don't know if this correlation is going to make any sense to anyone, but I have this desire to smoke cigarettes when I am stressed out, like when something really bad happens. And I mean like bad, like, you know, real, and um, you know, then sometimes I just have an urge to smoke cigarettes when something bad hasn't happened. But I'm just saying I will, if something bad happens, I will. Um, and, when you said breathe, I think that like, because I'm not someone who has ever really felt myself, especially at this point in my life, definitely not addicted to nicotine in any way, but the urge is still there sometimes. And I think for me, it why it pops up at those times when I'm feeling like that is because I just want to take a minute to sit and breathe. Now I know talking about smoking and breathing seems ridiculous, but really the like taking the minute to like pause and like, take some time there's obviously a healthier way to do it without cigarettes and I usually do that but I'm just saying like I think it's it's just something to think about for everyone like we have these instincts to just be like sometimes it's for people I need to like eat something or I need to go drive fast or I need to like go on a run but I think in that is just I need to kind of be with my own breath and my stillness and myself you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think simply breathing is probably the healthiest option <laughs> in that. But I, I immediately kind of really just connected with what you're saying, because I think that's such simple and yet very valuable advice
2: when you're going through something really intense. Yeah. If I can add one other thing to breath, because I say that to people a lot about breath, you know, like, what do I do next? And it's just breathe. It's To me, it's not just giving yourself space. It's just how you get to the next moment. Mm. And then in the next moment, then you get to the next moment. And then right, the next the moment, pause. you get to the next moment. Yeah.
1: I think it's when I'm, I know it's kind of like in Jessel, when I was talking about smoking cigarettes, but it's it's the same thing. It's like, what am I going to do right now to just kind of like take a minute till I get, yeah, till I get to my next thing? How do I just carve out this like little bit of
3: time until I can kind of get through this crisis or, you know? Well, the funny thing is that, you know, it's, it's an autonomic response, right? We're breathing all day long, but we do it right we, here. And so as soon as you remind somebody to take a breath, it goes, you know, just like when you're inhaling a cigarette, Zara, <laughs> you, you yeah. take a much deeper <laughs> inhale than, yeah. than your all day breath with, with that. But, but it is, you know, it's, it's funny what that reminder does. It, it, it holds a different place for, oh yeah, I can breathe all the way in all the way. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> No, it's really, so I think you just need a cigarette holder. Are just, <laughs> just a cigarette yeah, holder. no, I mean,
1: I'm just being, you I'm can just taking
2: a deep breath. <laughs> totally.
1: But honestly, yes, because I've said this many times because like when I talk about my urge to smoke cigarettes, it really is not about smoking a cigarette. It really is about the break. It really is about a break. And you know what I mean? And I think it's just an interesting thing because a break is a breath and it is yeah. actually like touching base with like, whoa, I'm having like a moment of like just peace right now and of like re recalibrating. Mm-hmm. Um, we also like to ask everyone and this can actually happen for us because we do share, share meal, meals together. But if we were all going to get to share a meal together this evening, which would be great for me because I haven't eaten yet. I'm very hungry. Um, what, what are we going to bring to our dinner together? Mm. Bobby, do you want to start?
2: Well, I have a couple of things spinning in my head with different images of zucchini and (laughs) different things. But what I really would like to bring is um, my poached peaches. Oh, good. Because we came upon a batch of the end of the summer peaches where they looked so beautiful. And when we bit into them, they just weren't the right texture. They were mealy. And I bought, Zara bought me from the farmer's market, 20 peaches in this beautiful bowl. And everyone, one after the others, ah, ah. (laughs) So I just took them all and poached them with a little maple syrup, little teeny dash of maple syrup and a little lemon. And they were yummy. So I would make some poached peaches with yogurt.
1: Delicious. I love it. I'm going to bring something in as a homage to Aaron and I's friendship, um, which would be a delicious giant bowl of pasta. And because we met in Italy and we both love pasta And I think that I want to do my pasta kind of Tuscan style, maybe like a rigatoni with like white, like delicious stewed white beans, and just like lots of Parmigiano and good Tuscan olive oil on top.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember actually. Sorry, that's Fletcher
1: shaking. Is here Fletcher shaking? Oh, we didn't even talk about Fletcher, who's my boyfriend, (laughs) my husband. I'm married to Aaron's dog. He's the most. He has a giant strand of
3: drool over his nose right now. Um. I will never forget in Tuscany when you made me food. Um, it was also when I think I burned the handle of um, the mocha. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we're, of the maca. We're, we're in this, you know, pot. kind of in like a, a, a professional <laughs> kitchen where I'm I'm out of my realm there. You know, the burners are all <laughs> this big and the flames are <laughs> this big. And um, But the, the first thing bite of food that you prepared for me. There's just something about somebody preparing food for you that it, it always tastes better than, you know, when you prepare food for yourself, but I knew then I knew then it was love. Um, but I would actually (laughs) bring, um, I would bring my pesto because I make my pesto from our garden, obviously our basil, but I, I use our, a variety of our peppers in it too. And so,
2: and I don't use
3: cheese. I know that that's probably like a I love that. A big no-no in the pesto world, but um, uh, I assumed Zara that you would be bringing some sort of bread and pasta. So oh, I'll bring bread. I was going to bring the <laughs> pesto. <laughs> okay, great.
1: We'll put the pesto. That pasta with beans would be delicious with your pesto with on pesto. it. What kind of nut do
3: you use? Do you do a walnut or a pine nut? Oh well, so I I change it up. Um, I do change it okay. up depending on. Um, I don't like the walnut. The walnut, the oil okay. and the walnut, it, it doesn't – I don't like the flavor. Um, I, I will do a pine nut, a toasted pine nut, Um but i love to explore different types of nuts i've actually enjoyed a cashew in the pesto oh um, a
1: cashew a cashew
3: it it's it's a little creamy it's it's it love goes it. it gives you a little bit of nutty but it doesn't give you that like walnut is too bold with the 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 oil of the walnut i don't know but I like to explore no, I hear you. the different nuts in the pesto.
1: Can I tell you something? Yes. Now I feel like we're on the episode of Saturday Night Live with the <laughs> sweaty balls. It's a very similar tone. But uh, I just want to mention for you and our listeners that I love a pistachio pesto. Oh, yes. Yes. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's good pesto. That's right fantastic. There. That's delicious. That's fantastic. pesto. I also
3: like the way you like to put all of the herbs in a salad. I like to throw mm. in random herbs into the pesto, you know, just to surprise, I love that. just to, to surprise a- you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to being surprised by
1: your cheese-free pesto in a couple of weeks when I'm back in Milwaukee. And, um, Yay. for real, this was so special. And really like, again, like I feel this way about everyone that comes on the show because talking about your grief and pain and, you know, things in life that are hard is incredibly, there's no other word for it. I think than generous, you know, but, and it's generous because, um, it's, you're sharing in the aim, I think of helping other people like realize that they're not alone. And when I think that people feel like that in grief in general, and what you were saying about, uh, the infertility, about infertility being something that's not really talked about, uh, you're absolutely right. It's not really talked about. And I think there's a variety of reasons why that is, um, but I think it's really important to just remind other folks. And, you know, another thing I was thinking though, too, is that it's interesting about the show is that I don't think you have to, I think you could have had a loss of a spouse and listened to this episode about infertility and have really gotten something from it. Because I think there's also something so common in all of our different kind of pain and grief and the grieving process that, you know, it can be just super helpful just to know there are other humans out there with feelings. <laughs> Well, go through and, and the
2: things and the things we can't control. Yeah,
3: yeah. And That's you know, I think I think one thing control. that 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 hits home for me is uh, the thing that I see with people is not sharing their grief because it might make somebody else uncomfortable. And what I say to that is get over it because it's you know yeah. it, it, is, <laughs> it is it is it is an Anthony and I chose early on to be open about going through IVF. Um, and so we saw all different walks of discomfort in, yeah. in just in sharing. And, you know, it's, you don't need to carry that. And, you know, somebody else, mm-hmm. if somebody else can't handle the weight of your story, your pain, your grief, that's on them. That's not on you. And, and so for me, I think being able to remain open about it and, talk through it um, the entire time, Um, you know, that's, it's, it's not always easy, but um, it's, it's been a huge part of the availability for me to get up every day and keep, keep going. Thank you so
2: much, Erin. Erin, thank you so much. Beautiful human. You're the
1: best. I really adore you. I cherish you. You're a wonderful person, wonderful friend, and thanks for joining us and I'll see you soon.
3: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Of course.
0: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese, with intense requirements to succeed. Our Master Cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Thank you so much
1: for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing_podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.